Welcome back. We have a brand new shiny episode for the podcast for you. I'm Dana Cassell, one of your hosts, and today's show is all about space. Space force, that is. Space is um, fascinating. I had to spend some time on the internet after I listened to this conversation between Susu and Nathan because I got so fascinated with our human presence outside of this planet. Did you see the news a few weeks ago about the first-ever all-woman spacewalk? They had a live feed while it was going on, and I got to watch as astronauts Jessica Meir and Christina Koch left the space station and spent six hours out there in space completing their mission, which was, can you guess, replacing a battery. (laughs) It took six hours for them to replace a battery, and they had it all on live feed. It was excruciatingly slow because there's no gravity, right? So every move has to be precise and intentional and slow. And it was also kind of riveting. These women were floating in orbit around the Earth, and every now and then they would sort of turn their head, or the camera that they were wearing would show this incredible view of our planet where they were not drifting through the universe. It was kind of breathtaking. Humans have not been exploring space for all that long. It's only been about 60 years that we've had the capability to get off Earth and into orbit. That's only 60 years out of the 250,000 years that humans have been around. We are total newbies at this space stuff. But we're learning really quickly, and we're leaving a lot of stuff behind. In 2018, the U.S. Strategic Command estimated that there are 18 
thousand artificial objects orbiting Earth. That stuff left there or created by humans is sometimes called space junk. We've only been able to get to space for 60 years, but we've already littered it with tens of thousands of pieces of garbage. Pretty typical of us humans, huh? Humans are pretty notorious for leaving messes. And now we humans are beginning to act on another typical human behavior, claiming territory and waging war in space. Listen as Susu and Nathan talk about what they've learned and how our church is already participating in work to end war in any galaxy. Hello, <laughs> um, this is Susu Lassa. Nathan Hostler. Nathan Hostler with the Church of the Brethren Office of Peace Building and Policy. And today... We're here to talk about uh, Space Force slash Space Command or Space Corps. Uh, the Church of the Brethren Office of Peace Building and Policy works in Washington, D.C. and is based in the Washington City Church of the Brethren as our geographic location. We work on issues of U.S. government policy, also ecumenical and interfaith relations on behalf of the denomination, work with other faith-based and non-governmental organization offices to address particular areas of concern. So today we'll talk about one of our newer areas of work that we're just beginning to explore um, in line with our historic and ongoing concern to address U.S. military engagement around the world uh, and also uh, addressing and confronting violence in our local communities and also globally. And in this case, we'll be talking about space, so somewhat broader than typically described. (laughs) So the Church of the Brethren, as you may know, has policy statements of our own, much like U.S. government and other entities have policy statements. Our policies are defined by the annual conference, which is a gathering um, annually of delegates from around the denomination to decide and discern uh, how we read scripture in our present time. So we have a historic connection to concerns of war and our participation, and particularly our non-participation in war and opposition to the war. So today we're exploring a new place where this, we see this work and these policies potentially expanding. we thought it'd be helpful for for the audience to hear one such statement. This comes this comes as part of the 2013 statement uh, opposing U.S. drone policy. I'll turn to Susu for that. <laughs> it says, um, "The Church of the Brethren follows the teaching and example of Jesus Christ, whose willingness to die was accompanied unaccompanied by a willingness to kill." In line with our brethren heritage, we believe that war or any participation in war is wrong and entirely incompatible with the spirit, example, and teachings of Jesus Christ. And this is drawn from the 1918 statement on of special conference of the Church of the Brethren to the churches and the drafted brethren. And many of the newer policies then refer to this or to other ones. So, for example, the 2013 resolution on drones, which I mentioned earlier, references this in its introduction. Mm-hmm. As you as you see from this, and as you see in other policies, our our statements are very theological, but they're also political, um, not partisan, but political, and so they relate very specifically to what's happening both governmentally and in the world. And so, in this, we see a consistent affirmation of our engagement as Church of the Brethren and as Christians uh, in these sorts of discussions and dialogues and debates, and, and organizing to to resist such policies. All right, so. For some context as to what the office has been doing in relation to U.S. militarism, 
Um, I know that you have had you have an upcoming trip to Iraq fairly soon, and you have had contact with the IRC, the interreligious. What yeah, is it? so there, there's there's a number of places where we engage. So SUSU works, for example, in the international interfaith working group on drone warfare. Oh. Um, I'm also part of the international religious uh, freedom roundtable, but also there's uh, a roundtable working group on uh, militarism, Pentagon spending. Um, this morning, for example, I was with the National Council of Churches in the U.S., meeting with the National Council of Churches of Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, for one such conversation, this was around the the ongoing nature of of the Korean War. So while we're not, there's not active hostilities, there's, it, there's an armistice. And so there's a, an effort to organize a commemoration of the beginning of the, the 70th anniversary, the beginning of the Korean War. Particularly today, we talked about, for example, the no-gun-ri no gun uh, massacre of civilians in which uh, U.S. military killed hundreds of civilians over a few-day period. Um, we're going to Iraq, um, particularly to uh, northern Iraq, to Iraqi Kurdistan. And there uh, we, we hear about, as we read and as we visit, the ongoing uh, impacts of U.S. military engagement. And so when we talk about Space Force today and Space Command, uh, this comes out of a both a long theological concern and opposition to war, but also uh, acute awareness, but in some cases for Americans, uh, lack of awareness of how our actions and our tax dollars have contributed to suffering. So, for example, in Iraq, um, after the first Iraq war, um, there was a specific targeting of infrastructure, which took out water pur purification systems and healthcare structures. And so in the about eight months after the official end of the first Iraq war, there are 47,000 additional deaths of children under five due to uh, this, is de this was documented by the U.N., and it's thought to be directly tied to the impacts of this targeting by the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. Between 91 and 98, there was 500,000 um, children under five um, died from the impacts of these. And so when we talk about Space Force today, uh, Space Command, uh, this is the context mm -hmm. that, we're, that we're discussing it in. Oh, yeah. Um, but as such, I think it is very important to pay attention to um, the unintended consequences, I suppose, that can arise um, from militarism and this march towards increasing, like, exporting U.S. militarism, like, you know, within, like, you know, the world. But then now also this threat of, you know, a militarizing space, which is a domain that is unexplored and um, according to, like, the like the rules of international law preserved for, for fostering peace. And so the trend towards, like, marching towards the militarization of space is terrifying. And as such, I think that with the context that you've given, it's important to talk about what that could mean. Um, and so we can <laughs> segue into the conversation. Um, and so if you could, if you'd be willing to you know, tell us what is Space Force and how does it differ from Space Command? Because there's a delineation between the two. So over the past few years, there's been a, a few fairly high-level discussions or announcements around Space Force. When I've talked about this with people, and we've not, again, are just beginning work on this, so it's not a main area of focus, but when I've, I've mentioned this concern or that we might be doing some of this work uh, with colleagues or uh, assorted other folks, there's often a bit of a laugh. We say, we say Space Force, we kind of think uh, Star Trek or Star Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it sounds rather movie-like. Uh, but this is, the, the, the basic rationale is that there's um, a great deal of, 
industry and assets in space. And so at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a think tank here in D.C., uh, a few months ago, I went to an event and the number they said at that point is there's $19 trillion of industry in space. And so the basic argument was, well, we protect all of our assets, and so why wouldn't we protect these assets? There are, for example, they note, uh, already been at least one attempt to um, try out weapons that would essentially send something into space and then blow up, and then the, the debris from this would take out satellites. And so the basic argument is, well, there's a lot of stuff here. A lot of it's very benevolent and very nice, like GPS. Everyone loves GPS. <laughs> Maybe we can't get around anywhere without it. Mm-hmm. And so then we should protect it. Um, so that there's a there's not a, a sharp delineation necessarily between Space Force and Space Commands in, in some ways, but in some ways it very much is. So there are 11 commands around the world, or some of them are geographic, some are thematic. And so, for example, AFRICOM, Africa Command, mm-hmm. based in Germany, is a centralized command that oversees all military operations. And so it's not itself uh, a standalone branch of the military, but it helps command Air Force, Army, all these pieces. Mm-hmm. And so it's the idea is that in a geographic area, you don't have competition between various branches of the U.S. military. And so Space Command, which was actually announced on August 29th, my birthday this year, mm. um, is one such command. And so the idea is that it's not a new branch of the military, but it would coordinate mm-hmm. um, work across other things. So in this case, primarily the Air Force. Um, Space Force, if that were to move forward, which many people think is a trajectory, would be a separate branch of the military like the Air Force. And so this would be, you know, both in terms of resources much larger and would probably indicate a, a more dramatic expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but itself is, it, but is, so for our thinking, there's not a sharp divide between command and force, though organizationally there's a, a very big distinction mm-hmm. and probably the air the space force would mean a, a much more dramatic expansion mm-hmm. <clears throat> so moving to the next question why or in your opinion why do you think that this is an endeavor that we should have interest in yeah we as a community should be actively interested in we may have jumped ahead on this for in, in our introduction mm-hmm. but as noted we have a historic and ongoing strong uh, interest in matters of war. Uh, traditionally, this would have been more on how we uh, did not want to participate in things like the draft, but uh, particularly in the mid-20th century, we began to expand into very much more active engagement in ecumenical, so inter-church relations and efforts towards peacemaking. So the, the thinking being, if we're opposed to war and don't want to participate, then we also should work to end war, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have this trajectory of not wanting to participate and also general interest in war. But then in the case of Space Command, this I, I see it as very similar to our resolution on drones. And so when we brought a resolution on drone warfare to annual conference, well, to our board and then annual conference, one of the big questions was, we're already opposed to war, so why do we need something on a specific? Mm-hmm. You know, in this case, we kind of branch in the military or in that in that case, a, a, new tech, a relatively new technology. And my argument was this... <clears throat> It's a significant, significant enough change in how we function and expansion of the possibility mm-hmm. of striking and targeting that it warrants intentional, specific focus beyond a blanket rejection of, mm-hmm. of war or participation in war. Uh, 
the other piece is, you know, so there's that, that theological and also kind of practical reason or ways we would engage, uh, engage or pose. And also earlier we noted the, uh, there's, there's a long history also of, um, I mean, as a peace church, we're opposed to, we're opposed to all killing, but mm-hmm. we're maybe more specifically in, in terms of our work, uh, raise concerns around civilian casualties or targeting in ways that are not restrained. Um, this, of course, gets, gets into the funny, sort of funny business that we're in in D.C. of trying to translate a peace church's uh, position into a context where we're not going to really not going to abolish war, but we want to limit the harms. We also want to hold up the goal of abolishing and mm-hmm. stopping war and engaging in this way. Uh, and so, you know, we see this um, both as an expansion of the possibility of striking around the world, and that way very similar to drones, which is striking outside kind of in increased geographic areas. Mm-hmm. But then also uh, relating to this, uh, well, if we can strike anywhere, you know, what, what are the constraints on this? How much does that become more automated? You know, how much harm does that cause? And then as individual citizens, you know, on the very basic level, our tax dollars pay for this. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's all, a, a number of layers of concern um, and the highest being, you know, concern for targeted, targeted. communities. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, harkening back to um, the prior comment about um, international law and the space command within the scope of international law, it is key to highlight um, the 1967 multilateral outer space treaty, um, which essentially states that. Um, activities carried out in the exploration and use of outer space must be in the interest of international peace and security and promoting international cooperation and understanding. Um, Article 6 of this same treaty states that parties to the treaty that essentially urges parties um, that have signed the treaty to not place in orbit around Earth any objects carrying nuclear weapons or any kinds of weapons of mass destruction. Um, And so the tenets of international law are built to oppose, <laughs> oppose essentially the militarization of space. Yet we see a steady march towards that. And as Nathan has already highlighted, there are various reasons why we should be worried. Um, I think one of the major overarching reasons being targeting and how that could be expanded and how that could lead to a rise in extrajudicial killings and like unaware to the taxpayers who are, you know unintentionally funding um, this huge killing operation. Um, And as such, I guess my last question for you, Nate, would be, what do you think that we as the faith community or as the Church of the Brethren or even just as individuals, can? what do you think we can do? What do you think our office can do? What have we done and what can we do better? So this realistically is one of the questions we're exploring presently. Mm -hmm. Uh, A few weeks ago, we organized a discussion with other faith-based offices around, you know, in part working to raise awareness and get some common thinking on this, but also to uh, explore potential ways of engaging. Actually, I can refer back to a few things. We want even being international law. One of the interesting things in this work is that we, we have a theological ethical opposition to killing but then we work in a range of very practical, uh, very practical mechanisms. So, for example, we would use international law mm-hmm. at various points to argue, make points, make arguments. And so, when we go to a, a congressional office, we'll 
we will talk, we'll say we have an, a moral uh, opposition, but we also have, you know, and then tie this to a constituency. So we represent mm-hmm. the denomination as, you know, X number of people. You know, if we work on Nigeria, we say, and there's a million church with other members in Nigeria, we have this, we, we tie it back both to a, a moral uh, position, but also the, the number of people. So in this way, it's, you know, a little bit uh, constituency oriented, mm-hmm. but then also make arguments out of international law and would say, you know, in this case, international law begins to make some important constraints on this. But as we see, you know, particularly in Washington, across administrations, there's a, at varying points, differing amounts of commitment to international law. And so at this point, we're at a <laughs> lower level of commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when we were in administrations that would be more explicitly committed to international law, there's almost always, or there is always uh, a utilizing of this in particular ways, or we, or we don't sign on to conventions for because we don't want to be bound by mm-hmm. international bodies. And so some would say, well, this means that international law, for example, is not useful. And I would say it is is in part useful. It's part of a larger body of, uh, uh, of work and reasoning and thinking about this kind of on the intellectual level. But then this also then gives us some structure for addressing mm-hmm. um, particular instances. And so to the kind of back more specifically to your question, uh, in some ways, this is very much like any other thing that we work on mm-hmm. and so if we're if we're opposed to something you need to build up uh, political support kind of broadly and so this this could be you know in congregational levels having uh, forums to discuss and think about this mm-hmm. we haven't brought we haven't decided to or really discussed in great detail the possibility of bringing a resolution to our annual conference our office can't bring it directly we would have to bring it to our board and then mm-hmm. take it to annual conference but those sorts of efforts that are helping to educate the broader body mm-hmm. of the church to think about ways they engage. And then this is, a, once you've done that, then of course you need to find ways to oppose or to do that education. So in the case of drones, we have, we've helped develop some videos that help educate, mm-hmm. but then there's a group of people in Pennsylvania who monthly go and um, protest at the, at the uh, Horsham Air Force Base there because of the drone operations this this sort of thing is important. Uh, having a visible opposition mm-hmm. helps raise awareness about it and, and make people think, well, actually, you know, it kind of sounds like a joke, but actually this is serious, mm-hmm. and we have to say why it's serious. But then, you know, that then needs to translate into finding ways kind of in terms of policy mm-hmm. to, to address it. This could be also, there's some work around autonomous weapons happening in the UN, working to get treaties banning autonomous weapons, which are many see as the next step from drones. Mm-hmm. You know, see, it certainly relate to Space Force. When you think of space, uh, you know, being able to target from space and then either use use more conventional weapons to, to target. To target. Uh, so the specifics are we're, we're still working on, but in some ways it's very similar to uh, all other ways where we would oppose, oppose war or military intervention. I think one of the big challenges we're going to be Having this is that, as I noted in the beginning, people tend to kind of chuckle when they hear about it because mm-hmm. it, it feels like a movie. Maybe, maybe we're protecting against aliens mm-hmm. or something. Um, so, it, it, so there's that sort of that component. Um, but then it also feels very distant. I mean, even in the case of drones, it's very hard to get stories from people that are impacted. But when you start hearing them, mm-hmm. then you start seeing, oh, I mean, some people can 
automatically feel concerned, but many of us need, there's so many things and so many big things and problems in the world, mm -hmm. but to start hearing those specific stories. And so it's not, and this is why it's, you know, I go, I'm going to Iraq is because I can hear and I can engage with and then bring these stories back to our, our, our denomination, but also build relationships and connections between, I mean, one, one critical thing is that we're not doing this on our own. And so when we think of building constituencies or strength, it's not just I mean, it's within the congregation, but it's also within other community groups. Uh, at the the drones conference we were at at um, Princeton that we helped organize maybe two weeks ago now, mm -hmm. there was uh, it was interfaith, and so you have people from other religious traditions, from not from religious traditions, people who were policy wonks, people who were theologians, people who were artists, mm -hmm. former military, and so to building and diversifying the coalition. Um, of, also, maybe a few months ago, I was in a meeting on U.S. policy in Africa. We're working on a paper, and I met with, I talked to someone who was from the United Church of Christ, and he said, oh, you're Church of the Brethren. I work, you know, in my local congregation. Mm -hmm. I work with the, the Church of the Brethren on a range of things, and so it's it's also important to think across between our congregations or school groups, mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, those relations, some of that's relational, just getting people connected, but then also educating, organizing. Um, Galvanizing. Yes. <laughs> yes, well, wonderful. And I don't know if you have any extra comments to add on the subject of Space Force. I feel as though we will definitely update, you know, the, the congregation um, as things progress. And, um, yeah, I would just encourage you to build spaces or develop spaces where you can at least talk about these things and not get caught up in the sensational nature of, of you know, this concept, but actually talk about the very real ramifications that could arise if left <laughs> unchecked. And, um, yeah, just continue to have these conversations. And, and one very practical thing is we welcome engagement as we, mm -hmm. as we work to develop resources, keep an eye for, out for those. But then also, we're, we're very happy to engage with individuals or congregations who both want you know, us to come and talk about or engage mm -hmm. with or you know, have interest um, in coming to D.C. to meet with congressional offices. We're, we're quite happy to help organize those meetings mm -hmm. or give input or brief you and prep you for those things. So yeah. please feel free to reach out. Exactly. It is wild to think about war and peace in space, isn't it? And yet scripture is clear that God is the creator of the entire universe, not just our planet. That all of creation, the parts we know and the places we don't even know exist yet, are part of God's creative work and under God's constant care. You know all these verses, right? You've heard them before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows God's handiwork. God knows the number of stars in the sky, and God calls them by name. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what are humans that you are mindful of us? It's wild to think about waging war in space. Even Nate says that people often smirk when he starts talking about his work around space force. But if God created the entire universe, if we are God's children entrusted with both caring for creation and working for peace, well, it probably makes sense to broaden our perspective a little bit. 
maybe instead of working toward peace on Earth, we should be aiming for peace in the cosmos. Wherever you find yourself working for peace, Stunker Punks, I hope you know that you are surrounded by a huge community. And we are always doing the work of peacemaking together. If you're listening to this podcast, then you are part of a big, supportive, curious network of people. The Dunker Punks podcast is a group of Jesus-following folks committed to educating, connecting, and galvanizing for the new world that is already on its way. This episode was created by Susu Lassa and Nathan Hostler from the COB Office of Peacebuilding and Policy in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dana Cassell. Jacob Krauss edits the show and creates our music. Carrick Van Asselt creates graphics. Dean Fiesenheiser transcribes each episode. Suzanne Lay manages production and keeps us all on track. The Arlington Church of the Brethren hosts and sponsors the podcast. And On Earth Peace provides ongoing support. You can find the archives of every episode of the podcast on iTunes and online at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. You know you want to connect with us. You can uh, recommend the show to someone, follow us on social media at DunkerPunksPod, or you can email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Until next time, Dunker Punks. <laughs>